good to be with you. It's good to be here on a Sunday morning, and I actually think 70 is perfect for a picnic, John, so I don't know if you're talking about 80. 80 is hot. All right, so we'll have a fun time this afternoon. We're in the middle of a series called Faith Works, and we're looking at the book of James this summer. We'll take this this summer and go all the way through the book of James. So if you are um, one who spends daily time with Jesus, I'd encourage you to um, make James a healthy part of your diet this summer. My, my conviction is, is that this message or this time of preaching is always much better when you already know what I'm about to talk about. When you've already spent time in the presence of God, you've already studied the Word, you're meditating, you're memorizing it, you're allowing the Word of God to bring life to you, and then when I come, uh, I'm just accenting maybe some of the things that God's already saying, uh, maybe challenging you to think in a, in a different way than maybe you've been thinking, and, and sometimes maybe even you sitting there going, I'm not even sure what Sean's talking about, I think I have a better idea what's going on. That's okay too. I want you to be engaged with the Word of God. We believe here in this church that the Spirit of God is alive and well. He lives in us as believers, and He brings illumination. He uh, leads us to an understanding and acknowledgement of Jesus, and He brings an awareness and understanding of the Word of God. That's, that's part of who God is. He's living in us. He's active. And so I encourage you to do that. We finished this, the, the, the first message last week with this verse. Verse 12 in James 1, where it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And I believe this passage of Scripture is, is, a, is a, a, a verse that um, captures what was going on in the first 11 verses of James 1 and is going to take us right on into this next passage of Scripture from, 12, from 13 to 18 today. As I was thinking about this passage of scripture this week, I, I, I ran into an old friend of mine, and they were talking about um, when they um, were younger, and they um, had decided that they were going to take the LSAT. And so they um, um, were 21, 22 years old. Um, this person is, uh, is full of life and full of energy and is, uh, um, is quite spontaneous, and so she had signed up for the uh, LSAT, and she had, on the way to the LSAT, she had gotten her a, a huge Dunkin' Donuts iced coffee, you know, like just full of sugar, cream, the whole deal, drinking it down, rushing into the test. She decides that she's going to sit in the middle row of the test, so she's just packed in with all of the students. The, you know, the, the timer goes off, commence, start taking your test, and Somewhere in the middle of the test, she starts to feel sick, and she's like, oh, no. She, says, she said, actually, I started to feel so sick, I wasn't quite sure which direction sickness was going to go out of my body. It was, it was like one of those, I'm in trouble. And she said, you know, you don't take the LSAT and in the middle of it, get up, especially when you're in the middle row. But she said, I had no option. So she stood up, <laughs> she excuse me, excuse me, no, no, quickly, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> she leaves the row of her test-taking um, row, and she heads out to the restroom, and she said, I threw the test in the trash can and left the building. Um, she um, did not finish 
that test. So I, I think that she possibly did not read this passage of Scripture before she took the LSAT. It, did, it does not say, um, after you go through a trial, stand up during the test and leave. It says, having gone through or going through this trial, persevere, and we talked about this last week, persevere under the trial and having stood, not having stood up, but having remained, having endured as we learned in James 2, um, having persevered, when we have endured the test, walked with God in the test, we will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When we persevere, we find God. This was last week we talked about this. We find God in the midst of our trial, and we find joy, which is amazing that in the midst of what seems to be hard and um, trying circumstances, we can not only find the presence of the Lord, but we find joy. Most of us who are in a trial or a test, and we're going to continue on this theme this week because that's what James is talking about in James 1. When we find ourselves in a trial or a test, oftentimes it presents us with many temptations, right? It's, it, it's filled, it's a landmine of temptations, of temptations to doubt God. Temptations to judge God or judge other people for getting me into this trial or this test. There's temptations to be impatient. There's temptations to just give up and give in to sin and immorality. There's temptations to be unfaithful. There's temptations all over the place in the midst of a trial. It might be the trial itself that is a temptation to sin um, in and of itself. It might be an addiction. It might be something that we know very clearly is not right. But oftentimes the test is neither bad nor good. It is just a test. And remember last week I said if you are in a trial, it's a trial. If it's a trial to you, it's a trial. And in the midst of that trial and that test, we are tempted. We are tempted to respond to the trial in the right way. And so look with me in our text this morning as we leave that verse 12 that we just looked at. Look at verse 13 as... James goes on, he says this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, if we stop there, it would be a very dreary message. It's an important message. But that is not the full context of this passage of Scripture because James wants us to go on and look at verse 16. And he says this, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. I believe that is the crux of his message today. And we're going to come back to that phrase over and over again. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Where does deception start? Where is deception rooted? Where does deception live? Deception is not something that we taste, touch, or smell. Deception lives in our mind. 
Deception lives in the place where truth should exist. It is at war with what is true, what is clear, what is right. Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Take notice of what you're thinking about. That's why God warns us through Paul in 2 Corinthians 10. He says this, For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine powers to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The war in our trial, in our testing, is in our mind. If we can get a hold of the truth, then I believe that we we can conquer, we can overcome whatever trial or circumstance that we're involved in, no matter what form it takes. But if we lose the battle in our minds, then that's the beginning of the fulfillment of what we just read about in James, where those desires, those half-truths, those base experiences or feelings come to entrap us and ensnare us into sin that leads to death. We know this, but just to, to remind ourselves again, we know, and we, 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 um, we, this, this training doesn't go on as often as it used to because it used to, currency was all in dollar, it was in bills. But we, we, we know, or you should know that um, bank tellers or people that deal with money all day long, the way that they can tell if something is counterfeit is if they spend time looking at what is real. The way that they are trained is to study and to know every little detail of the, the realness, the accuracy of a bill, of a, of a piece of currency, so that when they see something that is not real, it is so obvious to them that it's not real. The same would be true for our walks with Jesus. If James is saying, and if God is saying through James, don't be deceived, he's not really telling us, keep on looking a lot at the sin that's in your life. Keep on, keep on listening to a lot of lies, and let's just really focus on all the lies that are going on in your life, although it is important for us to recognize when we see a lie or something that's off in our life, but what he, what he really prescribes is that we would focus on what is good that we would spend time looking at what is real, embracing what is true. God's goal, our goal today, is not to focus on the bad, but to focus and take a look at what is good and true. And we're going to compare and contrast that as we look at this passage of Scripture in James. So what is true that James points out to us as we walk through our trials and testings? What is he saying is true? One of the things that we see in that passage of Scripture is that God really is a good father. That God really is a good father. We would be tempted, no pun intended, we would be tempted to look at this passage of Scripture and say the, tr- the first truth that we should, we should focus on is that God doesn't tempt anyone. That is true. That's the negative part of what God doesn't do. But I want to encourage us to think first on who God is. What's the contrast that James is telling us? And he's saying, God is not one who tempts you, because God is not tempted by sin, nor does he tempt anyone. That is not who God is. 
who God is, is this good heavenly Father. This good and wonderful heavenly Father that loves you and cares for you, that supports you, that encourages you, that brings you advice and help. I have found in my life, and you, you test this to be true, you test this for your own life and see if this is true. I have found that in my own life, sometimes in my trials or testings, I tend to move towards isolation. I tend to move, maybe, depending on the situation, towards shame. Maybe I move towards fear of what's going to happen as a result of this trial that I'm in. Maybe I move towards working harder, which we know when we work harder, we don't have time for anything else, but we've got to make something happen in taking control of my life. Oftentimes in my trials, because I'm doing all those things, it isolates me from relationship, and I don't move oftentimes or sometimes, I hope I'm a lot better these days, but sometimes towards what is really good for me. And the move towards goodness, the move towards hope, the move towards freedom is towards the Father in heaven, the one who really loves me, the one who really cares for me, the one who really wants to encourage me and to bring me life. Because our Father in heaven, what is he? He is stable and predictable. What does James 1.17 say that we just read? Who does not change like shifting shadows. Do you remember last week when we looked at uh, the first part of that passage of Scripture, it talked about the person who asks for wisdom. It says he should ask God who gives generously without finding fault, and will be given to him. But when he asks, he must ask by faith. Because the one who does not ask by faith is like a wave blown and tossed in the sea. And what did it, how did it describe that person? That person who is not standing on the faith of God, who is not embodying or moving towards the Father in heaven, who is predictable and stable, that person is like a wave. He is double-minded and what? Unstable in all that he does. When we move away from God who is stable, we become unstable. We become unpredictable. Our situation becomes unstable and unpredictable. And it becomes discouraging and overwhelming. But God does not change like shifting shadows. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. And His goodness never changes. His rightness never changes. The nature of who God is never changes. We are so enamored in our culture for change. We actually believe that change is always better. If we change something, it's better. Well, I'll tell you what, there are a few recipes that if you change it, I'm upset. Because <laughs> I know that that potato casserole is not going to get any better. I know that that chocolate pie with meringue, that's just been going on for 40 years and it needs to go on for eternity. It just doesn't need to be made better. And listen to me, if God is the creator of all things, everything that we think is good, but also what we know is right and good, why, if he is good from the very beginning, should he change the recipe right now? There's no need. Some things are just not necessary to change. 
And God, who is and was and will ever be the same yesterday, today, and forever, does not change. And that, my friends, is a really, really good thing. When we live in a world and a life that is constantly changing and rewriting the rules and telling us that things that were once good are wrong and things that were once wrong are right. God never changes. He is faithful. He will always be faithful. He is holy. He will always be holy. He is good. He will always be good. He is merciful. He will always be merciful. He is righteous. He will always be righteous. And I could go on and on. Amen? These things don't change. He's good. And James says, therefore, how can we ever blame God for our circumstances that are that might be leading us into or might be in the presence of sin and evil. That's not God. God only pushes us, invites us, encourages us, trains us, teaches us, leads us into what is good. Because that's who he is. And that's what he wants for you and me. He never tempts us. But don't be deceived as well. The sin, it's sin, and the devil and its effects are the same as well. Sin, 2,000 years ago, had the same effect on a person as it does on you today. The devil, from the very beginning of Genesis, who tempted Adam and Eve, he's the same devil. And he doesn't have a lot of new tricks. The morality and the nature of God are the same. Forever, and the morality and the nature of sin are same forever. They don't change. Murder is murder. Murder was, in Genesis, murder, and murder today is murder. Lying is lying. Sexual sin is sexual sin. Stealing is stealing. See what I'm saying? The devil, sin, does tempt us, and it does, he and sin, does have a deadly effect. But each person is tempted, verse 14, when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. That picture, those words in the Greek have a very specific and clear illustration. It is the same, it's the same um, illustration as a hook or a lure for a fish. There is a lure, a desire on the end of that hook. And when that fish or when you and I take that bait, we are hooked. Desire, the lure, hooks us, sin. And when we are hooked and we give way to sin, that sin, its natural conclusion is death. Because the nature of sin, the nature of the devil are the same. Listen to Jesus when he talks to the Pharisees And he talks to them as they are arguing about who he is, who the real father is, who God really is. He has this response to them, and he's very impassioned when he responds in John 8, verse 44. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. 
for he is a liar and the father of lies. Listen, we are in a battle in our minds. And there is a liar that's after you, and there's a truth teller that is after you. Who are we going to receive? Who are we going to believe? Genesis 3, do you remember the liar in Genesis 3, just the beginning of things with man? Adam and Eve in the garden, God says, don't eat from this tree. The, 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 the serpent, the devil comes and says to them, did God really say? Chapter 3, verse 1, did God really say? How many times, be honest, and you don't have to raise your hand, just internally. You, don't, you can say amen if you want to. But how many times have you been, been in the midst of a situation You've been in the midst of a trial or a temptation and you've given way to a thought of discouragement or a thought of abandonment or a thought of, of temptation and you've, you've wrestled with the thought, did God really say? How many times does that happen? Okay, you're honest. I like that. Thank you. Thank you. It happens to all of us because it's the same devil and it's the same lie and he knows it works. Whenever you wonder, did God really say, but your conscience is saying, I think he really said. Believe your conscience. Believe what you know of the word of God. Believe what you know of God because it's from God. And why did God set up, set up language and communication with us to let us know what is not good and what is not right? Any parent in the room know the answer to that one? We know the answer to that one, don't we, parents? Because we love our children, and we want to protect our children. Parents really are not, for those of you who have parents and are not parents, little, you know, any, you know, and mom and dad, don't look at your kids right now. But parents really, at the heart of who they are, are not trying to kill and destroy the joy of your life. They're not trying to take away from you the opportunity for something wonderful and fantastic. And if they just get out of the way, we'd really start living. What they know and what God knows is that if you really start living, living, you really start dying. It's a hook. It's an allure that traps us and leads us to death. Genesis 3, the devil did it. We know it as a continuing pattern of the fallen nature of man. Don't be deceived. The devil and sin are the same and they have the same deadly effect, but let's go back to God. Don't be deceived. God's love never changes or fails. God's love never changes or fails. 1 Corinthians 13. 13.8, Exodus 26, but showing love, this is of God, showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The same Jesus and God who said, I will forgive you 70 times 7. I will continue to forgive you if you come to me because I love you so much. I am not wanting to keep you away from me. I'm not wanting to say, you know what, that's the last sin, out of here. Tired of you. Done with you. That's not God's heart. Jesus said, how many times? They asked him, how many times should, should, should I forgive? How many times would you forgive? A big number. 
way bigger than you can ever imagine, way more times than you can ever, ever think about counting. I am a forgiving God if you will come to me. Isn't that awesome? Tabby, is that awesome? Okay, just let me know. He's a good, good father. Always hopes, always protects, always sees the best. This is our father. So don't be deceived. God's love never fails. God is light and truth and not darkness. Isn't that a beautiful picture in James where it says he is the father of heavenly lights? He is the father of the creation of lights. I think about heavenly lights. I think about the stars in the sky. What, what happens every night of every night of existence? If you go out and there are no clouds and you look up in a dark sky, what do you see? Stars everywhere lighting up the sky. And what did it say in Genesis 1? It says he gave the moon to do what? To govern the night. And he gave the sun, that other bright light, to govern the day. And what is he saying? As long as I live and as long as I am, because I am light, light will govern darkness. Light will dispel darkness. Where I am is light, not darkness. And when we live in darkness, in the shifting shadows, it says, he is not one who lives in the shifting shadows. He is not changing. He's not hiding. He's not confusing. He's not trying to trip us up. He's not trying to make things difficult. He is light. It's clear. It's sure. It's real. It's predictable. It's stable who God is. He's not trying to confuse you. He's lighting it up. So that every night and every day we see and we say, God, you're alive because you're the father of heavenly lights. And you have goodness for us. You have greatness for us. He leads us to life and hope. I just want to say, if you are in a trial, or if you're in failure today, if you're in a place where you can't see up from down and things are shifting, Light is at your doorstep. Hope is pursuing you. And he's not pursuing you with condemnation or shame or harsh discipline. God is pursuing you and me to set us free. And to bring us out of that shifting, unstable, murky, destructive darkness. To bring us into hope and light. But don't be deceived. The devil is a liar. And he is in the shadows. And he's trying to change the rules to make what is clear and pure, unholy and wrong, and what is dark and evil right. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's just pretty much a clear description of everything that is opposite of who God is. 
hey, this is really good. You can go to a, a city away from your faithful friends and family and spend all of your money towards greed and then have affairs and relationships and live it up and be completely unfaithful and completely living in the dark and then we'll keep it a secret so that you can hold on to that shame for the rest of your life and come back again and therefore live a completely hypocritical life with the people that you really love and live in darkness. Wow, sign me up. When can I buy that cheap ticket and eat that cheap food and live in that cheap hotel so I can have all the life I really want to have? Redefining what is good and not sin in our culture. Greed has become good. Self-promotion and pride have become good. Adultery, homosexuality, sex outside of marriage have become good. Lying is good as long as it blesses you, as long as it's good for you. If it makes your life better, then tell a little lie. That's good. You're smart. You're savvy. For there will come a, come a time, 2 Timothy 4, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. 2 Timothy 4.3 We are in a time where it is very easy on the internet to find, find some doctor, somebody who's got a DR dot by their name, some wise person because they're on the internet, right? They can publish on the internet. They must be wise who will tell you that whatever you really want to do, which you really don't want to do, is right. But God's already told us, because he loves us, he said, don't be deceived. I'm the father of heavenly lights, and I come down with good and perfect gifts from above, I don't change like shifting shadows, and I've chosen to give you birth through the word of truth that you might be a kind of first fruits of all I've created. Can you hear? If you understand this text fully, can you, you, should, you should see the Father in heaven's buttons popping off his chest. I've chosen you because I love you to give you life eternally so that you can live with me in joy and pleasure and happiness forever. I've come to give you life and more abundantly. He has good gifts for us. New life, forgiveness, hope, encouragement. When we find Jesus and we truly have a friendship with Jesus, it makes the loves of this world pale in comparison. Truly. I was talking to one of my kids yesterday about the music in our world. Talking about all of these wonderfully edifying songs that we can listen to on a daily basis. I'm being sarcastic. And our conversation was 
in the, in, the, in the manner of, and I totally get it because we've all, we've, every generation grows up with something like this, but dad, I mean, if, if we took out every song and every situation that promoted evil, we, I mean, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have any music to listen to. He was right. <laughs> and I thought, well, wow, is that our only alternative? That we, and this is just one illustration, but because the world promotes or lives off-center or way off-center from the reality of the goodness of Jesus, do we just live over here just because that's as good as it's going to get? That's all the world has to offer, so let's just take it. Or do we say, you know what? I like it right here. I like Jesus. I like waking up without regret. I like walking in purity. I like the intimacy that comes with faithfulness and friendship. I love the delight of being served and serving other people. I love it. I love Jesus. I love who he is. I love his ways. I love my friendship with God. And I love giving him away to others. I want to live in this place. He gives us new life. He adopts us into his family calls us sons and daughters. He calls us his father. I love what's happening in our church with the foster care program, among many things that we're doing, but I love the picture of Christ that adoption gives to children who have not understood or experienced the love of the father or the mother the way that God intended it. And I love that children can hear, maybe for the first time, not just hear, but see, taste, feel, experience what our Heavenly Father is showering upon us every day. Hey, I want you to know, son or daughter, I love you. And I'm committed to walking this life out with you. And I want to take this, this, these resources I have, my home, um, my family relationships, my time, my energy, and I want to give them to you. And I want you to be a part of, of the richness that I've received. And I want to share what I have with you. And it might be that, that, uh, that it stretches me. But I want to be stretched because I want you to know how much God loves you. Oh, I love it. I love that we have the opportunity through word and deed. In whatever forms or fashion. And that's one illustration to share this new life, this adoption into the family that we also have been adopted, right? We've all been adopted. We've all had a father, the devil, who was broken in a liar and a killer in our life that wanted to destroy our life. And Jesus said, uh-uh-uh, not with Sean you don't. That boy's mine. Get back, you father of lies. He's my son. That's how God sees every single person in this room. You are not excluded from that confession. That's how Jesus, the God in heaven, sees you. He is fighting for you to adopt you. Our response is to receive his love. And lastly, he brings honor. The first fruits, the first fruits of all he has created, the first fruits. You know what the first fruits are? The first fruits are the best portion of the crop. They are the best of the best. 
and they were dedicated at the temple to God. When people brought in the first fruits, they laid it before the altar and they said, God, the first, the best is yours. And God is saying that when he adopts us, he's saying, you're the best of the best. You're mine. And you're not only mine for this life, but I'm going to put a crown of life on you so that everybody knows that you are not just a nobody, but you are a part of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are a prince. You are a princess. And when people look at you, they see a crown. They see honor. They see glory. That's who you are. That's who you are. Okay, come on up, Ben. Where are we... What are we going to believe today? Are we going to believe the lie that sin is good for you? Are you going to take the bait? Are you going to believe the deceiver? Are you going to believe the lie that God is holding out on you? That you either need to take control of your life or abandon God or give up or give in to the effects of sin. And your only hope or your only destiny in life is to walk around in shame or hopelessness or anger or judgment or complaining or self-pity or comparison. Ugh. Do you want that life forever? No, please, don't believe it. You don't have to have that life forever. Are you going to believe the lie? I was, just, I was just at a party yesterday with a wonderful set of believers. That we, just, we were a reunion for our trip to Puerto Rico, and we were talking about what did we learn from the trip. And one of the, the people on the trip said, you know, I learned that I don't have to complain when things get hard or tough. But I can choose just the little things. And he said, this is transforming the way I work, reminding myself I'm not living in that nature anymore. I'm, I'm living with a God of hope that's got joy and victory for me today. Are you going to believe the lie or are you going to believe the truth that God is good, that he is light and he's for you and me? That he does not tempt, but he gives good gifts. He gives life. He gives family. He gives love and honor and purpose. So what are you going to do? Just stand up with me. How do, we, how, do we put, how do we walk out in this? We believe it's true. We repent of the lies that we've been believing. Sometimes we need to take the lie. Remember that first passage where it says we take our thoughts captive? Part of taking captive our thoughts is saying, you know what? That's a lie. Father, would you forgive me that is not the truth. Forgive me for believing and living out that lie, and Lord, I want to receive your truth. That's called repentance. And then let God fill you with new hope and new destiny this morning. If you're in a place in a trial where you need the truth to overtake the lies, I want to invite you to come forward this morning. You're in a wrestle. What do we remember last week? It's not, a conf- it's not weakness for you to confess, I want the truth, and I want to walk in the truth of who God is. You're saying, I want to believe the truth. There's a war going on in me in this trial or this temptation, this test, between lies and truth, and you want to be walking in freedom. If that's you, I'd love to invite you to come forward right now. We'll just wait for a minute as people come forward. While they're coming forward, let me just say, why do we do this? The same, and I'll say this is the same, same reason I do it. When God gets a hold of me with the truth, sometimes it's just in my time with him, and we pray, and it's good. I journal, and we're great. But there are times when there's something so strong going on in my life, I've got to go to a brother, or I've got to go to my wife, 
And I have to say, honey, I'm really wrestling here. I can't see up from down. I need your help to speak truth into my life. Bring encouragement to me. Would you stand with me? I just want to declare it and get it out of my brain so I can hear it and go, that is not the truth. So I believe there's more. Come on, if you're in that place and you want God to minister to you this morning, he's got truth for you and he's got deliverance for you and encouragement for you. Anybody else as we're responding this morning? Nothing magical about being up here. The only thing that it demonstrates to God is that you mean business. And God can take that place of honesty and that place of surrender and he can do amazing things in our lives. So as you're standing up here at front, I just want to pray over you and then I'm going to ask some people, some of our life group leaders and different prayer warriors in our midst to come and pray with you as well. You can share with them specifically or you can just have them pray. Or you can say, I, don't want, I would like to just be by myself, however you want to do it, but we'll have some people that will come pray with you. But Father, I pray over these that have come forward and maybe even some that are still in their seat but are answering the same question. Jesus, I declare that you are good in their lives. That you have not put them in this trial to tempt them towards sin. You have not put them in this trial to abandon them, to frustrate them, to cause them to doubt you. That's not what your desire is. But you are in this test with them. I want to, I want to just say this over you. Jesus is in this test, or he's wanting to be in this test with you to provide fellowship, to provide encouragement, to provide hope to be a resource, to endure and to persevere, or also to deliver you. Whatever his purposes are right now in his timing, I don't know, but he is with you in this trial. He is for you, not against you. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love will endure in your life. So I just pray truth, truth, truth to rain down on us right now in the whole room that the truth of God would dispel the lies of the enemy in Jesus' name. If you're a prayer warrior, a life group leader, you see somebody standing up here, come on up and pray. Every person, I'd love for have somebody, have somebody praying with them, or more than one person. If you see somebody, you go, I know that God's wanted me to go and encourage or pray for that person. Come on forward. Let's just continue to worship for a few minutes as the Lord speaks to you ministers to your heart this morning.